Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the podcast about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. This week, Leeds United feel hard done by after an offside ruling goes against them at the London Stadium for the second time in as many weeks. Wolves win a penalty when neither defender or attacker appears to be in possession of the ball. And we'll discuss how referees should talk to both captains ahead of kickoff. I'm Mike McCarthy, broadcaster, football journalist, uh, spent the afternoon arguing the merits of consistency and common sense. I'm hoping, as I always do, to get both from former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL Keith Hackett. Uh, Keith, how was your weekend? You doing well? Yeah, fine, thank you. Excellent. Uh, we should start then with the the decision that's got the most heat uh, and perhaps shed some light on this one. Leeds United at West Ham, they're 3-2 up. Click thinks he's made it. 4-2 to Leeds United, but there is a touch on the line by Rafinha, who is in an offside position, and it makes all the difference here. Yeah, They've got this one right, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you are... Again, I em- emphasise on the offside law that you can be standing in an offside position, and that is not an offence. But when you become active... As in this case, you play the ball, you are active and you're standing in an offside position. It's a pretty straightforward decision. I think like all these things, you you get into the arguments as to why the lines aren't being drawn. And I I do think that that is a sensible move by the PGMOL when they're not getting into this heated debate in terms of a toenail or whatever. And I think I think that's a sensible move that they've made over recent months. So we're seeing less of the lines, um, if we're seeing them at all. And so I think that's helping the process. But fans are saying, where are the lines? We want to see the lines because we want to justify and see whether it is a toe or not. Well, thankfully, this wasn't too uh, too close in terms of needing the lines to be drawn because there's one defender near the goal line and the goalkeeper's way out. So um, Rafinha is definitely off. But the interesting thing about this is, you know, it is such a a minor touch. Uh, There's been a lot of argument, uh, particularly on social media that that I've seen this afternoon, that because the ball is heading in anyway, it makes no material difference really that it hits Rafinha, that the goal should just stand. Let's, Let's apply some common sense, Keith. Well, I, I, I think I think that's effectively, you know, the laws are there and the laws have to be applied. And therefore, he, he, you know, players and managers and fans have to try and understand the offside law. It's hard enough for referees and match officials on the day, isn't it? Uh, because of these uh, anomalies, the, these things do happen and then we have, to de- we have to question them. If you recall earlier in the week, I think it was, where we had uh, Aston Villa using the tactic that was previously used by Bolton Wanderers, and that was we're going to have two attacking players standing well offside. And then as their player comes to take the free kick, with with the two players clearly standing offside, they're going to move to hopefully an onside position. Um. And this happened some years ago, Leicester versus Bolton Wanderers, where Sam Allardyce, the manager, decided to put two attacking players on each goalpost. Uh, Uriah Rennie blew it offside. It was all like, why? I was um, at that game, Keith. Were you? The, yeah, I, I remember shouting, you know, <laughs> to, to have that decision made as soon as possible. Because, yeah, yeah it, it looked absurd. Yeah, it did. And uh, and and in fairness, Yuri didn't get caught out. He blew, and then what we had to do was justify that decision. So 
I was called to a meeting the following morning. And so I drove down to London and met Richard Scudamore, the CEO of the Premier League. We both decided that it didn't look right. We needed to make changes. We then had to go to the FA because the FA being members of the IFAB, responsible for the laws of the game, uh, we had to seek their permission. So we actually outlawed it and it was approved by by IFAB. So these things do happen. They do challenge the referee on the day. And offside is a particularly uh, difficult one because... I've had the argument this week with uh, what is active play. And active play can actually interfere with the, an opponent just by moving, not even mm. touching the ball, because there's an expectation. You know, I had an argument, well, an argument, a discussion with someone who, who said, but he didn't touch the ball, Keith. I'm going, well, here is his play, he's, he's deemed to have, have, have made an active play, and therefore he's interfered with the opponent. Um, so these anomalies will always exist. And it's amazing, you know, because I correspond with a fair number of people in Europe and Bundesliga and, and other com- countries. They don't suffer the same sort of debate that we have on offside decisions here in England. You know, when I say, oh, we've got massive problems with the offside and it needs change and amending, they look at me as I've come off a different planet. <laughs> and and I, think, I think the only answer is that they're so used in in Europe, of playing with a, a deep sweeper, uh, standing on the edge of the penalty area, playing everybody on site, that it, it doesn't form a real problem, or they're just willing to accept the referee's got it right. Well, I, I mean, maybe it's just the latter. But the interesting thing there that you brought up with the Bolton situation and, and having to uh, essentially get some permission to, to change the law is, I guess it opens the discussion with this Leeds United situation. Yes. In this particular instance, the law has been applied correctly. However, in the future, if the ball notionally strikes someone on its way in and it has no material impact on the goal being scored, is there any way of actually writing that into law to allow goals to be given? Because you know we all want to see goals. That's, that's the reason we're watching the game. But is there a way you can actually write that into law? The offside law well, appears to be complicated enough. I don't know whether this is just adding more complications than it needs. Yeah, the, the, this often takes place, Mike, through discussion because what you have is, of course, you have the laws of the game and then you, uh, alongside that you have interpretation. Uh, you know, we, we, we can talk about this uh, forever, not only just on offside but on foul challenges because uh, what... I see as reckless, another referee may see as careless. What I see as excessive force, others might say that's part and parcel of the game. So what we have to do as referees is very much rely on the, the governing bodies, if you like, the FA uh, and uh, the PGMOL in the case of the professional game, sitting their referees down and discussing these incidents and actually saying, this is how we're going to interpret this particular law. You know, when law changes are made, and invariably that at the beginning of every season, we're getting amendments and we're getting changes. Um, what happens, the process is that those are introduced to the referees at their pre-summer conference. Uh, they then have workshops to discuss them. Guidelines come through the FA and the IFAB. And then uh, those 
uh, interpretations are then passed on to the managers at pre-season meetings. And on occasions, I certainly would have referees going in. If the change was fairly dramatic, I would have referees going in and uh, officiating pre-season friendlies behind closed curtains, if you like, in order to get players to understand those laws. So referees, refereeing bodies have a, have a responsibility to educate, for sure. Well, fair play to the uh, officials in this instance at the London Stadium for getting that decision spot on in law. Um, an interesting one occurred at Molyneux, though, on Saturday afternoon, Keith. Um, Michael Salisbury in charge for this one, VAR uh, John Brooks. This is a challenge involving Bednarek, the Southampton defender. Uh, he doesn't win the ball. Aitnori, who's making a run into the penalty area, doesn't seem to win the ball either. And then they collide. <laughs> Um, now, in a situation where neither player appears to be in possession of the ball, uh, we see a, a penalty awarded after a VAR review. I just wondered what you made of that whole situation because it, it was an unusual one to look at in the Premier League this weekend. Yes, I think that we have to remember that football is a contact sport and sometimes players coming together can create a problem for the referee where he's got to make a judgment and interpretation. And where, if you like, the balls uh, goes out of play, by that I mean out of playing distance, a metre or so, he's then got to not only look at a foul in terms of the challenge, but also as unfair impeding taking place. Has there been a blocking offence here and a judgment? I think referees in certain situations have got to say, well, OK, that's a coming together and nothing's, uh, nothing's really happened here. Just play on. And don't get involved. I mean, obviously, you, you've got the reactions from the players now because invariably in these situations, one of the players goes to ground fairly easily. So, yeah, I think it was a tough call for the referee. I think that he had another look. He, he could have got away without doing anything, really. I think it was, uh, you know, you could deem it a bit of a harsh call, but not a, yeah. not an easy one for the referee. No, and, and, and interestingly, we saw an incident a little bit later in the game as well where uh, Romy of uh, Southampton, he's, he's going for the ball. <clears throat> it's one of those situations where a defender trying to make a clearance also then kicks the opponent. Uh, and we saw, uh, we've seen a few incidents like this in the Premier League. Some have been given as penalties, some not. Um, in this one instance, was there, was there a case for Southampton to get a spot kick, Keith? No, I think that... Um... You know, these are judgments by the referee on the field of play. And sometimes you've got to live with what the referee has seen on the field of play and the action that he takes. He's got to determine whether that player has actually generally tried to play the ball. But there is also this element of danger. If, if you remember, we had Sheffield United players uh, goal ruled out because his, the, the foot was head high in a dangerous situation. And we've had players dismissed because he's, he's literally, with force, kicked his opponent from behind. So the, the referee's judgment here is he's, he's, he's obviously aware of the law. He's, he's got an experience level as a referee. He's then got to make the judgment. You know, did that player uh, clearly uh, have, have a situation where he's going to kick the opponent? And if so, then that, that's a dismissal offence. I think he's judged 
you know, in another game, we had a similar a, a situation where there was a, a question, did the player stamp an opponent? And when you actually looked at it, it looked really bad. And I'm, I've gone, that looks a stamp. But then when you see it in normal time, right, mm. the player's actually stumbled and he's trying to get out of the way. There's no, there's no downward force. He's just trying to get out of the way. And he, and he does tread on his opponent. And I think sometimes this is the, the case when they're actually clearing the ball. The important thing here is to recognise that a player has a duty of care towards his opponent. And the laws of the game are penned in order to allow players to play with a degree of safety. So this is where you uh, have those workshops with referees to discuss how you're going to deal with these within your game consistency as a referee, but also as a group of referees. I don't think that takes place enough currently with our, our referees. I don't think our championship and football league referees get together sufficiently during a season enough times. I think the SG, the, you know, the SG1, and to some degree, some of the two, ought to be getting together more frequently and discussing in depth these types of incidents so that there is a, a genuine consistency across all the referees in terms of how they handle foul, foul challenges. Mm. Well, we should hand out an awful lot of praise, actually, this yeah. weekend because, uh, I, you know, going through the whole Premier League weekend, it seems, you know, a, an awful lot of, of right calls have been made and it started, actually, on Friday night in the uh, Brighton Crystal Palace game. Not an easy game for Jared Gillett to, to look after, but... Uh, there was a penalty after a VAR review where Will Hughes is clearly holding the neck of, of Veltman. Stuart Atwell called it. Uh, yeah. Jared Gillett to the monitor, and it was duly given. And then Mope having a goal ruled out as well. Uh, the goalkeeper ruled to be in possession of the ball. It seemed like uh, a good weekend was started off by that one on Friday night, Keith. Yeah, there were two very good decisions. Um, and this is where I think we saw the benefit of VAR. And how sensibly Gerard Gillett, the Australian referee that's officiating on the Premier League, uh, you know, he was Australia's number one referee, and you can see that with the, with his with his approach to players, his approach to the game. So for me, I think it was really good teamwork between the VAR and the referee, and I, I think it's interesting because the one area that I'm critical about. You know, in considering what we've gone through with VAR in recent months, recent years, should I say, is we question the relationship between the VAR and the referee in terms of experience. Does Martin Atkinson want, a, you know, a new Gerard Gillett to give the decisions or does he want him just to or ignore him? I think here we've got Stuart Atwell, who's had the experience, of course, of uh, VAR at the Euros, and I think that's coming through, that he's, he's gained a great deal of respect in terms of his officiating as a VAR. And despite the criticism that he receives as a referee, I think generally um, he's doing quite well. Now, what I think is an eye-opener is that there was a wrestling offence here. Mm the player was grabbed around the neck and we're seeing that and have seen for the last 10 years plus that type of offence ignored. 
Uh, we've seen Mike Dean being the one that actually penalises it more than any other referee. And I think it's refreshing that Jared Gillett, having refereed at the high level in Australia, comes to England and says, right, I'm not putting up with that. Long may it continue, Keith. I think it's Absolutely. fair to say. Yeah. I mean, there was some. Uh, I mean, in terms of the performances that you've seen this this weekend, who's uh, who else uh, needs a bit of uh, a spotlight on them? Yeah, I, I just want to turn on my spotlight onto Craig Pawson because I've I've been pretty critical of Craig in terms of not his decision making, but his his movement around the field of play that exposes error. So he does make errors, and that's because his movement profile is not good. He stopped short of the penalty area. I thought he had a really good game this weekend. I think that he he applied some good advantages. Uh, One led to a goal, in my opinion. He looks a bit sharper. He looks a little bit fitter. Somebody's knocked on his head and said, hey, you need to... uh, You need now to establish... You're established as a a Premier League referee. Display it. So for him, uh, a great deal of praise. Um... I think Andy Madley is another referee that has the traits of his brother, Bobby, in that he's, he's calm, uh, he's measured. He had the Norwich-Everton game. There, there wasn't too much in terms of uh, debate and discussion. He kept the game going. He was on top of it. He managed the players really well. They gave him respect. I think he's coming along quite nicely. So I think another referee that had a, had a good weekend. So I think generally this was a good weekend for the for the PGMOL. Yeah, and and let's hope uh, that that continues uh, as the season progresses. And what I wanted to talk to you in a bit more detail this week about Keith was how referees address captains ahead of games, both at you know the top level and what should be happening in grassroots. What I'll do is I'm going to link to a, a video that's been doing the rounds on social media this week, which is a grassroots referee in about 60 seconds explaining what he's going to tolerate, what he's not, saying I'm going to play advantage as much as I can, but if you've not come to play football, you're going to hear from me, You know, I'm paraphrasing here, a bit more often than you would like. Um, and so, you know, there's a really clear set of instructions handed out. Um, I personally think if he was my referee on a Sunday afternoon, that's exactly what I'd want to hear. Mm. Um, but I'd, I'd love to get your perspective um, first at the elite level. What actually happens when the two captains are, are in front of a referee ahead of a game? And then what should happen on a on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning when uh, the rest of us mere mortals uh, are playing the game? Well, firstly, Mike, when I was the boss of the PJMOL, I went to the board and said, look, this is what I want to do. I want to make use the captain as a facilitator to improve standards of play on the field of play. And in fairness to the Premier League, we then had quite a, a promotion that went on for some time. Get on with the game, get on with the referee, uh, you know, get on with each other was, was the thing that flashed around the perimeter fences on a regular basis. Uh, part of that process was to actually improve the image of the game. Um, and so as a result, we, we had this growing tendency of three or more players surrounding the referee and looking and damaging and tarnishing the image of the Premier League. So we said, look, we, you know, we've got what we can do here is we can just issue three yellow cards immediately. But is that good for the image of the game? How can we improve that? And so one of the things was to say, right, we're going to 
use the power of the captain of the team to act as, if you like, a conduit between referee and the remainder of the team. And we would do that with the captain of both teams coming into the dressing room of the referee one hour before kickoff with the manager or the top coach to when the team sheets were being exchanged. I've got to say, first of all, that everybody's got to understand, apart from determining who's going to win the toss and which end they're going to kick, that is the power afforded the captain and nothing else. It doesn't give him license to actually communicate to the referee. So what we're saying here is, in the Premier League, someone like Howard Webb, would the team sheets would come in, he's already exchanged, he's, it's a, it's a friendly introduction. And Howard would say, uh, I want to be addressed as Howard. How do you want to be addressed? Do you want to be addressed as Captain or Mike or John or Jack or whatever? Mm. So that's the opening gambit. And then we would say, look, there's going to be a point. If your player starts to bubble and we see that he's running a little bit out of control, in that management process, if we feel it necessary, we will either have a quiet word with you, having had a quiet word with that player, on the fly, out of the public gaze, quietly done, or it'll become a public debate. And that is, we will call you across, bring the player, and we will issue, if you like, a public recognition that that this player's behaviour has got to improve. What I think is important about referees is they don't close off the options. If a referee says, the next time I'm going to caution you, or like this, the, the young referee pre-match in the local park says, if you do this, I'm going to do that. If you're going to do that, I'm going to... And, and all those sort of things. Mm. They all suddenly go, oh, grief, we've got one here. So it is how you put it over. And therefore, I think that this referee has, has attempted rightly to say, look... This is how I'm going to referee the match. I'm here to enjoy it. I want I want to be the facilitator of a good game. So I'm going to apply advantage. On the odd occasion, it might not materialise. But, you know, if, if you step over the other side, I'm also going to be pretty strong. But I think that you've got to take great care because we used to have on the Football League a referee called Gilbert Knapthine from Leicester. All right. Now, this is a, not a name that I'm familiar with, Keith. Yeah, well, Gilbert, Gilbert's a really nice guy. Really, really nice guy. But he was renowned for the length of his pre-match instructions with his own colleagues. <laughs> you know, might even take half an hour. <laughs> uh, so I think that I think it's important that where referees have, have assistant referees that they are very clear with their pre-match instructions. They have a process. My process was quite simple. I'd walk out onto the field of play with the two assistant referees. I would say, look, this is the bit I want you to referee. We understand which uh, wings they're going to, you know, touch lines they're going to patrol. Easy now because it's outside right. See, in my era, I had a choice of outside left, outside right. And then we'd run through the processes of when and where I want I want them to come in. And I used to say, look, uh, the field of play is as much yours as it is mine. Determine when you want to come in, but try and get a balance in terms of how I 
and going to run the game. I'm going to apply a fair amount of advantage to keep the game flowing. Just be wary of it. If you see a foul and you're thinking about flagging, look in my direction to see whether, in fact, I'm signalling and allowing advantage to be played. Those sort of things. So they're not caught static. Yeah. And so when you're talking to the to the, the captains about what you want from, from a game, I appreciate you don't want to be doing a, if you do this, then that will happen sort of approach. So what's the, the the ideal way of approaching that conversation then? What what's what gets the the best out of players? I think that often it's to signal that uh, you're there to in, enjoy a game. I, I, I you know I think ultimately teams prefer strong referees rather than weak referees. That's the first thing. So I think it's quite clear that if he's the referee as this one has done, recognises the two captains, has a belief that, you know, that they're going to behave. Because quite often, the captain can be the opposite. He can be the worst guy on the pitch that you've got a referee. Mm. Yeah, so it does. that's why I think you've got to get the message across carefully without putting too many guidelines down. Because it, you clo- your potential is you're closing off the options that, to you. So for me... It's just a case of look. I'm here. Let's let's. We're all looking forward to a game. Let's enjoy it. I want to keep twenty-two players on. It's down to your two teams. If something's untoward, give me the chance to deal with it. If uh, if I want you across to help, I'll bring you across. But then also use the captain as a as a, a warning signal. Hey, your number eight is getting a bit out of hand. And then when you when you caution that number eight and he comes running to your captain and says, whoa, I go, just a minute, did I warn you? Did I actually tell you that number eight was running out of control? What did you do? So I think it is very much that way. But you've also got to be very careful because some will take it as though they're going to control the game. Mm, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you've maybe got the chance to offer maybe two or three at most kind of key messages you want to get across. If you're doing more than yeah, that, I, I are think, you losing people? I think that you, ultimately, at the end of the day, you want to ensure that they're aware that you're there to do a job and that you intend to enjoy it and you hope that they're going to enjoy it. And whatever it is, you're prepared because, you know, we've heard Simon Hall on a number of occasions talk about his games in the local park here in Sheffield where you and I would think going to an under nine football game is going to be an easy ride. Mm. And it's not because he's, he's actually having to issue a verbal warning. Now that might not be to the players. It could be, but it also to, to the parents. So for the captains, it's simple, right? Look, I'm going to use you as a facilitator. If anybody's going out of control, I'm going to have a quiet word in your ear to try and, and for you to help. I'm going to be a referee that's going to try and keep the game going as, as much as possible, providing it doesn't get uh, out of control or put my control at risk. Mm. You know, so I think it's judging who you're dealing with and judging who the teams are. You've got to do so, your so, own so maybe if you're doing an under-10s game, it's not so much pre-match chat with the captains, it's maybe pre-match chat with the parents? Yeah, I think that uh, I think in that situation, there's always going to be a secretary, there's always going to be a manager. I think that quite often you've got them, uh, you don't have to chase them around the field. You might have to do that with a parent. 
you've actually, <laughs> you've actually you've actually got in the technical area you've got uh, guys who are doing you know they're volunteers they're running the team they've got a good idea so sometimes I think it's wise that if if something is bubbling you go to the technical area and say look guys you need to calm your players down so there are all types of things that you can do but you know what I see as a bit of a sadness at times is that I don't see <clears throat> the sin bin being used in the way that it should be. Mm. It's there, <clears throat> it's there to help referees. I just, I just feel that referees take are prepared to take more abuse than I was as a referee. Well, it's interesting you brought that up because in this video, what the the referee does is says, "Look, you know, I appreciate we're all grown ups." I'm par- paraphrasing again. The swearing that's going to happen, but if you use these specific words. That's when the cards are going to come out, and that's when you're going to hear from me. Uh, so, I guess setting out some clarity about what you're going to accept and what you're not in that situation is that is that a good way of doing it? You know, Mike, the danger here is that you're actually talking to two players, but you've got twenty-two to manage. Mm. Is that message going to run across to all the players, the remaining players? Yeah. That's 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 the danger. Well, I'll tell you what, Keith, I think we should open this up because we've got so many referees who listen to this show and I'm sure have very different approaches to the way that they they talk to players pre-match. I'd love to hear your opinions on this. Uh, Send us an email, hello, at seenthemgiven.co.uk on on your approach and what you reckon is the right way to do this because I'm sure there are many different answers that work in different ways so i'd love to hear that if you've got a question as well you can get in touch in the same way hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is the email address or you can follow us on twitter uh, you can find keith at Hackettref. you can find uh, me at mike mccarthy and the podcast at scene underscore them underscore given that's about as far as we go this week keith but thank you again for, for being part of the show it's been a pleasure as always and well, we look forward to, to seeing you next week and we hope that the uh, refereeing standards that we've seen this weekend continue to be replicated uh, across the season and we'll have plenty more praise uh, to dish out between now and may uh, if you like if you've enjoyed the show please keep subscribing keep telling people about it give us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts and until next time Have a great week and we'll see you then.